everybody, it's Matt Michaels here with Sin City Steve and DJ Impact. And in 2020, during the coronavirus pandemic, a movement started online in the professional wrestling community under the hashtag speaking out. The movement included behaviors that paralleled those to the Me Too movement and included behaviors such as harassment, bullying, sexual misconduct, rape, inappropriate advances, and physical violence. Some of those people who were named included Matt Riddle, Velveteen Dream, Austin Theory, Darby Allen, Jim Cornette, Marty Skrull, uh, Sammy Guevara, Will Ospreay, Dave Chris, Joey Ryan, and our guest here on episode two, and that is Michael Elgin. Um, Michael reached out to us because he felt it was time to tell his side of the story, the story he will tell over these next two episodes are his words they don't reflect our opinions on the vegas bad boys podcasting the only thing we knew about um, michael's story uh was from what we read on wrestling news websites uh which included that um there was some kind of uh accusation during the speaking out movement and he was released by impact wrestling in fairness to anyone who did speak out against michael we extend an open invitation uh, for you to tell your side of the story on the Vegas Bad Boys podcasting in the future. And with that said, welcome Michael Elgin and episode two, man. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Excellent. And uh, if you listen to episode one, uh, we uh, talked about Michael's uh, childhood, his wrestling career, and um, we're going to get a little bit into now how everything came about and before we get into uh, some of the names, um, let me just ask you in general, when did you first become aware that there was a movement called Speaking Out? And how quickly after that did you learn that your name was tied into that? Uh, I did not know about the movement or my name being brought into it until I got a call from Don Callis. And so when he called me, I said, what was said? And he wouldn't even tell me what was said. So then I got sent the tweets about it and immediately sent the proof I had regarding this to Don and Scott. And uh, at what point uh, did that did they know about it um, shortly after it, it came out or did it take a little while for it to basically get back to you? I really don't know. All I know is I got a call and within seconds after the call ended from Dawn was the statement that Dave Christ, Joey Ryan were fired and the accusations against me were going to be investigated. Okay. All right. Well, with that, um, we talked a little bit on the first episode about Mo. Um, if you could just kind of explain who Mo is and um, what the uh, story is uh, regarding how you and Mo um, came to the points um, of the uh, accusations. Okay, I'm going to try to cliff note this because I feel like I've beaten a dead horse with it. I've released two videos about it. But basically, in January of 2017, I wrestled my, Sean, my student, Sean Orleans, at a wrestling event called PWCS in Alton, Illinois. 
I did the show for a discounted rate because I was about to start Glory Pro in that same venue. And I used that opportunity to promote the show and sell tickets. They'd asked me to wrestle my student, Sean. We had a match. And after I was at dinner with uh, a student and the ring announcer, and I received a message from Mo on Facebook saying, why did you beat up Sean? Now I have to take care of him. And then it was just regular messages about how excited her and other fans were about Glory Pro, seeing what I could do for the St. Louis wrestling scene. Um, soon after that, it started going into subtle flirting on her part. Now, not to sound like egotistical or like um, the hottest thing walking earth, but when you have any kind of notoriety, even if it's a little bit, there'll be messages of people subtly flirting or saying something, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you try not to be rude. And I wouldn't go with the advances. And then finally I got a message that said, you need to teach your students to be better. Sean Orleans was just at my house and when I wouldn't have sex with them, he left. And I said, I'm sorry, I teach my students how to wrestle. I don't teach them how to act outside of wrestling speak with him if you have an issue then she would make more advances and then finally she asked me to perform oral sex on me before my may glory pro event i said you know my wife is at all these shows stop messaging come to the event i'm at the after party with david Starr, who i brought in for that show I'm supposed to take him to the airport the next morning, but he said he's getting picked up by Mo and she's going to take him to the airport. He gets picked up. A couple minutes later, I get a text from Mo uh, again saying like, sorry, I wasn't at the show. When can we meet up? And I said, have fun with David Starr. Again, I thought that was it. Now, a couple weeks after that, I get a text saying, why are you still booking Sean Orleans? He sexually assaulted me. I said, that isn't what you told me the first time. Why are you changing it now? And then this started the snowball. So then she said that she was sexually assaulted by somebody without saying their name and started to GoFundMe. Would ask me to promote her GoFundMe. I said, I don't believe in GoFundMes, um, whatever. Then she kept getting on me about Sean, how I should tell everybody and warn everybody about him. And I said, look, you didn't tell me it was sexual assault the first time. If you want this dealt with, go to the police. If you have a police report where he's arrested, I will gladly be on your side. And then she publicly um, accused Sean. That didn't get a following because Sean wasn't well known. So then that turned into not only the Sean Orleans sexual assaulter, but I covered up the sexual assault. And then that started getting grounds. And then a day later, it was, all of a sudden was not only did I cover up a sexual assault, but we were in a relationship. Then a day later, it was not only were, did he cover up a sexual assault, not only were we in a relationship, but we were in an abusive relationship. And then that's how it all went. So I sued her and people turned on me even more for suing her. But while suing her, a judge declared there was no relationship and no abuse. She settled the lawsuit because she knew she was lying. I had all the proof, which I've posted up court documents, transcripts. The audio transcript was out from the court hearing where she faked a panic attack because the judge told her she was a liar. And there was no relationship and no abuse. St. Louis Anarchy and a bunch of other people declared that Sean Orleans never committed sexual assault, so they welcomed back to it. So if there was no sexual assault, I couldn't have covered it up. A judge literally told her on the stand, which the audio was on YouTube, but if it's not, Warrenton County, Missouri, it's public record. You might have to pay something, but the audio's there where the judge clearly tells her 
They wouldn't take any of her evidence because like I tried to say when everything was going on, it was clip parts of conversations, not the whole conversation. So when she tried to produce that evidence, the judge would look at it and said, what's this? Well, that's the evidence. No, it's not. We're not taking it. Then I would provide the full transcripts and take it. And again, this is all on audio and it was out there years ago. I don't know if it's still there, but this can be verifiable. And I really believe that that's what helped things happen during the speaking out movement is because people already thought I was an asshole, even though I spent $50,000 to prove this girl was lying and Sean Orleans was proved to not have sexually assaulted her. I was still an asshole that covered up sexual assault, but also people would claim that I sexually assaulted her because that's how social media works is an accusation gets made. And then by the time it gets to the 50th person, it's totally different. So never was I accused of sexual assault. I was accused of covering up said sexual assault, but people don't pay attention to that because Sean Orleans wasn't a well-known name that everybody could get their pitchforks out against, but I was. So again, I went to court, I proved all this false and it was still lingering over me. And the funny thing is that the accusations that were made during speaking out by Caitlin Diamond and Lane supposedly happened in 2010 and 2016, which were before the speaking or before Mo. So why didn't they say anything during that movement? Well, because Mo was getting all the headlines. So that seems kind of odd to me too, that if this stuff happened years before Mo ever said anything, why are they just being brought up during the speaking out movement? Very odd to me. Hey, uh, Michael. Um, so Mo was pretty much a, a, a fan, right? Is that pretty much what she was? Not, it's not pretty much what she was. That was all she was. And somehow it got, as I said, the story got twisted that she was a student and right. I harassed a student and covered up a student's issue. She was never a student. She was somebody that bought tickets to shows and went to shows. Simply a fan that was had a sexual relationship with Sean Orleans. Just out of curiosity, what, what made you just communicate with her so much as a fan? Because so, most times you just ignore people like that. 100%. When she messaged me on Facebook, originally she started talking about Glory Pro. Now, being running Glory Pro in the St. Louis scene, I communicated with all fans, male and female. The only reason she got my phone number, which I've covered, is after the supposed assault by Sean Orleans, she told me she was going to commit suicide, then wouldn't answer Facebook messages. So I sent her my phone number. I said, look, if you ever really are going to hurt yourself, here's my number. No matter what you say, no matter what you're doing, I don't want you to harm yourself. And that's how she got my phone number, which I had blocked and blocked her on Twitter, which the messages out there even so, show her texting me from a different number <coughs> saying, I thought you didn't want me to commit suicide. Why did you block me on Twitter and Instagram and my phone number? And, you know, one of the um, messages that you texted me is you said, you said, I should have never let Mo have my number. But at first she messaged me about starting Glory Pro and her husband wanted to interview about the startup. Yes. Um, when you look at that situation in terms of um, hindsight and you're looking at the balancing of a balancing act between being a business owner and someone who is... Um, communicating with the community how important is it 
for those communications to, you know, be there to make sure that um, you as a business owner are able to defend yourself if claims like this are made. Is that something you even thought about at that time? Or is not, this something you learned? Not in the slightest. Like never would I thought somebody accusing my student of something, they would turn it on me. Now I saw the last questions asked, the role of the eyes. And I get it. I get it's hard to understand. But I hope you'll hear this and understand where I'm coming from. What was the story about my introduction into wrestling schools? I was an 11 year old fan that sat behind the event in the parking lot, waiting to talk to wrestlers. Now those two wrestlers given me the time of day to talk to me, to tell me where they trained and schools I should reach out to made me follow my dream. So me running a show or being a wrestler, always will I communicate with people every time. If it's at an indie show, when it was in Japan, walking from the hotel to Cork and Hall, when some wrestlers would put their shirts over their head and charge into the building so they weren't harassed for autographs, I would stop with everybody. Because what if a 10-year-old kid there wants to be a wrestler or a 20-year-old wants to be a wrestler and then a wrestler walks by them and they're a fucking dick to them and they never want to think about wrestling again, how would that make me feel as that 11-year-old asking those two wrestlers? And that's what people don't understand. I always try to give people time of day. If they DM me on Twitter, if they DM me on Instagram, whether it's about wrestling, working out, whatever, I try to communicate the best I can. Now, when I'm wrestling a local show and local fans were communicating, of course I'm going to talk to them. Why wouldn't I talk to them? If they have a little podcast, even if it's 10 people that never heard of Michael Ogan or Glory Pro, maybe that's 10 people that buy a ticket because they heard me talk if I communicate them on Twitter, if they were on the fence about a show and they reach out to me and they think I'm a nice guy, maybe they'll buy a ticket to support the show. The more tickets I buy, the more people I can bring in. The more people I can bring in, the more eyes on the show. The more eyes on the show, the more eyes on the people that I wanted eyes on. Jake something, Hakeem Zane, Kurt Stallion, my students, Paco Gonzalez, Danny Adams, KLD. My goal with Glory Pro was to utilize guys like Pentagon, Jeff Cobb, Matt Riddle, Mara Fuji, Cody Rhodes, Dijak, all these guys I brought in were brought in to put eyes on the show so they could see the rest of the car. Myron Reed was my, was my world champ. Now Myron Reed is blowing up in MLW. Again, not saying that he's blowing up because of me. I saw him before he was who he is now and saw that potential and wanted to highlight that because I was so just blown away by his athletic ability and how smart he was at such a young age that I thought eyes need to be put on this guy. So that was the whole point of glory pro. So anybody listening to this host or not can roll their eyes at what I'm saying, but that is the whole point of communication with people. Now, do I still communicate with people? Yes. Am I more careful now? Absolutely. Because I don't want anything to be taken out of context, regardless of that. The whole reason to communicate with anybody, especially in the local scene, was because I was promoting a show that I needed to sell out. I needed to sell X amount of tickets so I could afford the flight, so I could afford a hotel room, so I could do this. Because I wasn't running a show to lose money. And in a year of running Glory Pro events, I lost zero. Now, I didn't make big money, 
but I made a little bit of money on each show. But each thing went into whether it be the entrance set, lights, better production, whatever I could do to progress the show was why I was communicating with people, was why I talked to fans. And still, as a wrestler, if somebody reaches out to me that's a fan, if I'm somewhere and somebody realizes that I'm Michael Elgin and wants to talk, I'm going to try to give them the time of day. Because how bad would I have felt? And I always go back to this. If at 11 years old, I asked those two wrestlers where they trained and they told 11-year-old me to fuck off, would I have ever followed my dreams? I don't know. That's a great point. Great point. Um, along those, that's, uh, that's, that's part of the story that appears, and that's why I get people rolling their eyes at me, you know. And I'm saying this from a passion, and and I understand why the person asked that question would have rolled his eyes. But I hope that me going into detail and actually listening to what I'm saying, you can at least get a glimpse and understand why I would communicate with anybody. And unfortunately, after those accusations were made, even my ex-wife said, you got to stop being so nice to people because I tried to be nice to everybody. And unfortunately, it got fucked up because somebody decided that they wanted to get 15 minutes of fame online using my name. So again, if you have any questions about it or debate it, I have two videos up with court documents and I've given you all the info to check out the court documents. So please investigate and tell me that I'm lying. Absolutely. And everyone um, who is listening and watching, please, um, stuff is available. So um, please check it out for yourself. The stuff does exist. Um, the next thing I want to go into is uh, who exactly is, um, it's, it's Laney Weiss. Is that correct? Lane Weiss. Lane Weiss. And uh, how, did, how did she come into your orbit and, um, you know, there, there's a lot to that story. Um, if you could kind of just give a, a... There's some things I can't talk about with that story, unfortunately. Right. But um, there is some things I have no problem talking about. Lane was in the Detroit area and traveled around a lot with the Detroit crew. Um, her family's loaded, so she would have house parties all the time. And she would often pay for gas and hotels to be able to go to shows. Um, I did not find out till after my initial interaction with her that she paid to go to these shows to hook up with wrestlers. Now, not saying that you can't do that. You can be comfortable with your sexuality and do whatever you want. But when you try to use it as a tool to get a little bit of, like I said, Twitter fame using my name, then I'm going to fight back. Um, there is text messages that I have that I have not even sent you because they are in my back pocket of her communicating with other people, talking about all the wrestlers she was hooking up with at AEW and Ring of Honor. Uh, text messages of her saying almost the exact same thing she said about me, about other wrestlers, but never claiming they tried to assault her. Um, so the original interaction was I was with Jeff Brooks, Truth Martini, and Zach Gowan. And we went to Louisville to tape Ring of Honor TV. And she drove because she wanted to go hang out with the Ring of Honor roster. Is there any other questions or do you want me to go into the whole details of what was said and whatever happened? Um, no, I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, you're I'm, good. I was just making sure. 
I thought it froze up there for a second. I'm so sorry. I apologize. Uh, no, uh, you know, like you said, you, you guys drove down there. Um, what exactly did she make public of uh, that trip? So her claims are that I thought she was sleeping, which is asinine to how could you say that I thought you were doing something, which is weird. But apparently she said, I thought she was sleeping and I tried to go in her pants. And as I went down further, she made it known to me that she was awake and wasn't interested. And I stopped and then claimed that that was attempted sexual assault. Now that isn't what happened, but because people are always going to believe when somebody makes an accusation and never want to hear the other side of the story. I even reached out to a couple of friends who are police officers, sent them the, the tweets and said, is this attempted sexual assault, sexual assault? Is this something you'd be arrested for? And both people told me, absolutely not. That would be nothing that we could do. Now, what actually happened was she did stay at the hotel. Me and the guys went out to a bar. We came back and I was drunk. Truth Martini went into the bathroom. It was my night to share the bed with Lane because me and Truth were on the TV. Jeff Brooks and Zach Gowan came to try to get on the TV and show face. We were going to share the room, the bed with her, first night Truth, second night me. I walked in, she was up, we were all drunk. And I stupidly said, hey, Lane, want to have sex? She said, no. I said, okay, and went to sleep. And that was literally it. Now, I will even give her the benefit of the doubt that if we were sleeping in the same bed, that our bodies could have touched somehow. But me trying to go down her pants, me trying to touch her in any inappropriate way, absolutely not. Uh, if I wasn't drunk, I would have never even joked about having sex with her. And that was literally the only time I shared a bed with her. And that was in 2010 or 11. I know we did TV a couple times at OVW and it wasn't that relevant to me. All I know is there was other people in the room that she was supposedly really close friends with never said anything to them, never said anything to the Ring of Honor locker room, but yet said this during the speaking out movement. Now, I know that she has accused other wrestlers privately to people over the years, because I was there when she said this, saying that her friend, who was also wrestling in Japan at the time, wanted to beat up this guy who was supposedly physically and mentally abusive towards her. There's a lot of stories, unfortunately, of her seeking attention this way with multiple people. Um, and unfortunately, my name was already tarnished, so she could jump on the train of accusing me of something. Now, <clears throat> I, I mean, that's, that's the best way I can put it. Um, I, I wish that... I try, try not to be rude, but I mean... If I wasn't drunk, I would have never even asked her for sex. She's not somebody I find attractive. Um, definitely not attractive enough to try something without her wanting it. And um, you did, uh, in all disclosure, send me uh, and the guys texts uh, or, or messages uh, from Zach Gowan and Truth Martini and Jeff Brooks, who uh, do uh collaborate your story um as well um so again um as we ask people to listen you know definitely keep an open mind um because um there are again always two sides of a story 
Um, the next person we get into uh, is Caitlin Diamond. Who exactly is Caitlin Diamond? Because I now, wasn't before really we familiar with I will absolutely 100% take the blame. She told me the story of how I sent her a dick picture, and I apparently did. And I am very sorry for that and apologized when it happened in 2016. So Caitlin Diamond is a wrestler from Ontario that I knew from our travels. But like I said in the first episode, there was kind of that outlayer of people who did the smaller kind of out of the way shows. And she was in that group of people. Um, so we had run into each other on shows here and there, but never really communicated. Then when I was in Japan, I saw that she was there because we were Facebook friends. And I just reached out and said, oh, I didn't know you were in Japan. That's cool. I'm here too. Like, if you ever want to catch up, let me know. So one night, her, Chelsea Green, and Viper were going out to dinner. And we met up. We had dinner. We had a couple of drinks. And everything was kosher, I thought. And we still communicated after that on a Japanese uh, app that they use called Line. It's, it's like WhatsApp or whatever. It's just kind of the, the communication that everybody uses in Japan. And her story was that I was out with the guys drunk. And again, I sent you these messages. They're also up on my YouTube page. And she said, everything was fine when we hung out. You were, you were proper. Everything was good. And then you were out with your friends. You were drunk. They saw you messaging me. You said they dared you to send a dick picture and you sent it. And I said, wow, I'm sorry. And she replied with, to be fair, you said sorry right when it happened. It's not like I'm saying you tried to rape me or anything. So, yes, I admit sending a dick picture, especially while married, is wrong. I'm not saying that being drunk or pe being dared is an excuse. I'm just saying that the way things are presented during movements like this is that I was just harassing her to try to hook up and send her a dick picture, which is not the case. Her own words, which I've posted and sent to you guys, say that now i'm guilty of sending that dick picture in 2016 i apologized for it in 2016 when i realized what had happened after i sobered up again not an excuse but hopefully a, a different view of the situation rather than just being like oh he's trying to hook up with this girl so he sent her a dick picture um and that's really the gist of it man like that's pretty much it so, so, so she joined the movement, um, accusing you for sending that, despite the fact that there was a conversation of she knowing that that was something you apologized for, and she still added that in terms of this movement as you doing something. Um, yeah, because that was the way. I mean, after that. All of a sudden, I see these wrestling podcasts giving her interviews. I see that now she's booking a show in Minnesota, which I also sent all the tweets of people telling her that the promoter she's now booking for has harassed those girls, wow. even calling her saying that she's victim blaming. So that's why I'm saying there's always two sides of a story. There was no other reason to say that other than, oh, people already hate Michael Elgin. So if I say this, people are going to be on my side. I don't know if that was her thought process when she did it. I, I can't tell you what she was thinking, but from my point of view, that's how I feel about it. Because if you saw anything I sent, I mean, I sent the whole message stream. There's nothing missing from there. It's a lot different than what's portrayed online. She even said it's, it's not that big of a deal. 
those were her words, not mine. And I was even saying, I said sorry again when she explained the situation to me because I didn't even know what she's talking about when I was told that she said this online. And when I said, if that happened, I'm sorry, that was when she replied, to be fair, you said sorry when it happened. I mean, those were her words. So to think that it could be anything other than grasping at getting a little bit of notoriety off of that, I mean, I, I can't come to any other conclusion. I might be wrong, but I mean, the messages are up my YouTube page. I've sent it to you guys. And if you looked at it, you know, I'm not lying. Those were her words that I said, sorry. And she even said, it's not like I'm saying that you tried to rape me. Yeah. And that is exactly, um, as Michael is saying, that is exactly how the, um, the messages appeared. Um, there is no embellishing there. Uh, the next person that I want to talk about here is Jacqueline. And who is Jacqueline and how did you guys end up meeting? Okay, so this one, such a headache. But anyway, um, she was actually a big supporter of mine when Mo accused me. And because she was a supporter, she started getting the online. You guys even might remember this. There's a Ring of Honor pay-per-view in Las Vegas and her and her friend were drunk in the front row and wrestling Twitter jumped on them for being too loud and obnoxious during the pay-per-view. Do you remember this? It's there. Yeah. Do you remember that? Okay. So I yeah. reached out to say, hey, I know you supported me through the Mo thing. I just wanted to say this will die down. It's not that big of a deal. Don't worry. So we communicated as friends. Now, I'm quit Japan. I'm about to start with Impact. Impact has sent me to Winnipeg for a two-week tour to take Eli Drake's place because they had just fired Eli Drake and they had just hired me and sent me out there. She was in Calgary, which was the first show of the tour. We, we talked a little bit saying, oh, I didn't know you were coming to town. I said, this was last minute. I'm taking Eli Drake's place. She came to the show with her friend. They worked at a meal prep place. They brought me some meals. Okay, cool. Now we're going to an after party, which wrestling promoter 101 is everybody has to come to the after party to get paid, right? So their sponsors are happy because the wrestlers are there. And of course, there's no free food, right? It's just like, oh, yeah, come to this after party and spend your pay on food so that I get money to run these shows. But anyway, um, that's just how wrestling works. But uh, we go to the after party. I invite in there it's me jimmy jacobs and her and her friend playing pool hanging out she offers to drive me back to my hotel now i'm separated at this time but even at this at this moment i'm not thinking about hooking up or anything like that i ask where the hotel is i tell her the name of the hotel she says it's an unsafe part of town that her parents own a duplex and the one side is empty that i can come stay in the duplex I asked if I can bring Jimmy Jacobs. She says, yes. I asked Jimmy, but he says, no, he's got to stay at the hotel because he's got stuff to do with Danny because he was helping Danny with stuff, the promoter of the show. I say, okay. So we go to the duplex. I eat. We're talking, shooting the shit. We sit down on the couch. She puts her head on my lap. She kisses me. Okay, I think that's fine. I tell her, I got to be up early to go to the gym because she was already going to drive me to the gym to meet Danny because we were going to the gym in the morning. And... She says, okay, I'll make the bed, have your shower, and you'll be set. I come out of the shower. She's in the bed naked. So I get in bed. We end up hooking up, and we keep talking during this tour. 
She wants to hang out. I say, I can only hang out when I'm on the road because if I'm at home, I took this time away from Japan to be closer to my son. I'm not introducing any of my son right now. And I'm not coming to Calgary because I don't have time outside of work. She goes, no problem. I'll come to Philly. I said, are you sure? Yes. I tell her. I got to wake up early to go do cardio. Then after cardio, I'm going to eat and go to the gym. TV tapings, like I'm sure you guys have been around, start very early. So you have to be at the building, depending what company, between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m., even if it's an 8 p.m. showtime. Because you got to film pre-tapes. They got to make sure everybody's there. They have catering. You go through all this. I explain this to her. She says, that's no problem. She comes to the shows. Exactly what I say happens. I have to wake up early. I do cardio at the hotel. I eat. I go to the gym. From the gym, I go to the bed. I thought we had a great time. She says, thank you. It was awesome. Blah, 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 blah. Two days later, I get a text calling me an asshole saying that I should have given her more of my time, all these things. And then I say, look, I warned you. This was what was going to happen. You said it was okay. Why is this changing? Well, Clarissa said that when she went to see her boy, her ex-boyfriend, when he was at work, she, he gave her time. I said, well, I explained this to you. I'm sorry this didn't work out. Let's stop talking. Two days later, she messaged me again. I'm sorry. I realize now that your job's different than Clarissa's boyfriend's. I shouldn't have done that. Blah, 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 blah. We start talking again. She asked me to FaceTime her on her birthday. She's in Las Vegas with her family. I say, once my son goes to sleep, I will FaceTime. Then I start getting these drunk messages. Why aren't you FaceTiming me? It's my birthday. Don't you care about me? All this kind of stuff. Once Jax is asleep, I will FaceTime you. Wasn't soon enough. Then I get blasted, tell her I'm not going to talk to her again. Then, unfortunately, there were times where if we were in the same town, either I would reach out or she would reach out and we would still communicate. Now, during this time, I told her very strictly, Again, I sent you the guys the text and I put it up on YouTube. I do not want anything serious. If you want to hang out, that's fine. If we end up being back there, which I'm not saying we can't be, it's going to take time because every time that we've tried this, there's been a reason for you to lose it on me. Now, like multiple people, while we're dating, I want to date you because you're so much better than everybody I dated. Everybody's been abusive. Everybody's an asshole. You treat me right. All this kind of stuff, blah, 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 blah. Then, of course, when all this stuff happened, she's making accusations online, but even in the text message, she's apologizing to me saying, oh, who am I? Who's online? What is all this? Which is a normal thing for people to say. Because even when we were first talking, she would talk sexual, which again, we're in the text messages. And I would say, I don't feel comfortable doing this. The last time somebody talked sexual to me and I was rude to them, they can just take snippets of a message and put it up and make you look like an asshole. So I'm not doing that oh, but I'm not like that. I would never do that to you. Well, no, I don't feel comfortable doing this. And she would constantly push those kind of conversations with me. Now, again, this was the time to accuse somebody, but unfortunately I have all the receipts. Well, unfortunately for her, not for me. I have all these receipts where she's turning every conversation sexual, which if the roles were reversed, it would be sexual harassment. If a girl went out online and said, I was in a, in a hotel room with Michael Elgin. And when I came out of the shower, he was naked in my bed waiting for me. People would lynch me. They would come out with their pitchforks. But it's okay if a woman does that. Now, I'm not saying that she sexually assaulted me. I'm not claiming that. All I'm saying is people aren't looking at both sides of the story because somebody will just say something. And like I've dealt with with Mo, these people 
allow these platforms for somebody to say something, never given the platform to somebody else. And then when it's proved false, there's no front page headline that reads, hey guys, sorry, we gave this time to somebody who lied because that just doesn't generate any clicks that doesn't have people want to see that story. Everybody wants to see somebody fail. Unfortunately, that's society. You know, on your rise, there'll be people saying yay, but behind their back, they're saying fuck that guy. And then the second something bad happens, it's fuck that guy. Because that's what they're saying behind your back. And that's what she said. She said a bunch of wild claims when I have all the proof that says different, which she's done with other people, which again, I put out there because it was time to fight back. These people just say these things thinking that they can get away with it and it's wrong. Now, should I have maybe reached out to her when we were not together? No. Should she have reached out to me? No. Was it her choice to say, yeah, I'll still talk to this guy or hang out? I didn't force anybody. She literally had to fly herself to where I was. So I don't, you know what I mean? It's just, it's a wild thing that people are assuming this happened when there's a total different side of it. And the side from her is not very nice. Did you look at it as, um, uh, you know, as you would look at kind of uh, almost just like a normal relationship, uh, you know, where there's there's uh, a little give and take. There's, you know, uh, like you said, she was coming out to you know, on, on her own will to see you. Uh, was any of that ever taken into consideration when this stuff came out? The fact that um, you had two grown adults and, you know, there's not always just. It would be amazing if social media thought that way, right? It would be great. It would be great if social media looked at everything. As I said, I have my faults. And when I first got separated and then divorced from my wife, I thought I was ready for something and everything was kind of bugging me. And what I mean by that is I was finally putting my son on equal grounds as my wrestling. So nothing else mattered. So if something wasn't helping me in my wrestling career or my relationship with my son, it was very easy for me to break off that communication and not want something serious. And expressing that, it's like, oh, you're an asshole. You made me think you liked me. No, I liked you until these true colors came out. These aren't the true colors I want in my life, which should be acceptable because again, if the roles were reversed, it would be fine. But since it's a guy telling a girl, like, listen, I can't deal with this. All of a sudden being nice was fake. Or, I mean, you saw the text messages. You're so sweet. You're a saint. Large something saint was her favorite nickname for me. But anyway, these people say these things. But then when they start going on and going on and you realizing, like, maybe this isn't for me, like, we're on two different planes. And maybe I should have recognized that. Maybe I should have recognized that a person in their 30s living at home isn't somebody that I can have something serious with because I've been on the road since I was 16. I've had to become an adult much earlier than most people. Not saying that I I got kicked out of my house or my family wasn't there for me, but at a 16-year-old leaving on a Friday morning and coming back a Sunday night going to a different country, 
you have to grow up. You have to be mature enough to take care of your car. Make sure you have oil changes. Make sure you can get a hotel room without a credit card. Make sure you can do all these things. So I grew up at a faster pace because of the wrestling world. And I maybe should have realized that somebody who's not fully grown can't be put in that situation because they're not going to understand. You know, she's able to fly herself to all these shows because she still lives with her parents. She still lives at home. I don't have that luxury. The time I was giving was the only time I had, which was when I was on the road. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I got a freeze up there for a second there, Michael. Um, you're good, you're good. Um, and you kind of brought this up, and I think along these lines, this was something that stood out, stood out to me. Um, I believe she was saying something in a, in a message about uh, her being a bigger girl, uh, that, you know, you'd be like all the other guys. And you clearly stated that you can't be with someone with hangups. What, at what point did you realize that there were those certain issues with the self-awareness of herself and did you ever think at that point that um this should be like a red flag for you that you know maybe this isn't you know something to continue in terms of relationship or how did that all kind of tie into you guys finally cutting ties I mean, that's when i told her i couldn't be in anything serious and I was once very obese and I understand how tough it can be and how there's always going to be ridicule. So anytime she ever brought her self image up, I would try to tell her that she was beautiful and I don't care about any of that because truthfully, even though the first time we hung out, it might not be a typical person that I would date. I had been separated and single for the first time in many years and at first she seemed very sweet, very caring, very nice. And of course, I'm gonna give somebody a chance, but yes, like you said, that becomes a red flag. If every time you step around, it's like, you know, oh, you didn't give me enough time in, in Philly. Is that because I, I'm bigger? No, it's because I told you I was gonna be busy. And then you try to like say like, no, I don't think anything bad about you. This is what it was. And unfortunately, when you're in those situations, which I would learn with my ex, you can kind of not view those red flags as such big red flags as they are. You kind of see them as things that maybe you can help somebody overcome. You know, unfortunately, obviously, that doesn't work. Um, I'm very cautious now. Uh, anybody that I talk to, if anything comes out as a red flag, I immediately stop conversation because I never want to be put in that situation again. And unfortunately, I feel like people's past can sometimes reflect on their future. So anything that happens, it's like, oh, this is happening again. And then they start saying these things and it just becomes a shitstorm of red flags. And when you learn to care about somebody, it's hard to, to realize those red flags sometimes. Um, 
but definitely when I did, I, you know, I said, I don't want anything serious. It's going to take time to get to anywhere serious. I'm focusing on other things. If you want to hang out, cool. If not, fine. Did I ever think that those red flags would come into a situation like this? No. Um, maybe that was foolish of me. Maybe I put too much. How do I say this? Maybe I put too much on people's words when they're being like, no, I won't do that. No, you've been nice to me. You're sweet to me. You're, you're this, that. And then all of a sudden it's like, none of that matters because it's time to get a little bit of notoriety. And, and that's a scary thing because if you want to be somebody in the wrestling world, do what I did, do what millions of other people have done. Take everything seriously. Start going to a gym, find a wrestling school, do all these things, then become somebody in wrestling. But now it's like everybody wants to be a fan of something and then get popular within that fandom rather than just appreciating what you like. You know what I mean? I mean, I got a PS5 here and I like playing Mortal Kombat, but I'm not going to call them and be like, hey, I can make this fucking game better. What are you thinking? I'm going to appreciate the game what it is. And if I don't like it, I'm not going to play it. It's just, it's just, we live in a weird time with all this stuff. And it's, it's scary. Like I said, I, I'm at this point where I need to say something. And unfortunately, there's some things I can't say, even with my ex Alex, because I've tried to put up the other side. People aren't paying attention. And I've been left with the only option I have to do is find a lawyer and sue people because that's the only way the truth is going to be out there. Whether people listen to it or not, at least I have a document that says, hey, this person is lying. And that's not just for me. That's for when my son gets old. Like, that's my main concern. And, and that's why it, it fucking sucked to be in a situation for seven months where I have a gym in my basement and I don't want to work out because my ex said she was scared of me because of my size. Like, so what? I, I can't be a big guy. All of a sudden I'm intimidating. Like, it's just all these things. And then you're, I'm thinking, like, nobody's going to listen to my side of the story unless I'm fucking dead. So I literally went through seven months of, of thinking about killing myself because I thought that's the only way I could put my story out and people are going to pay attention as if I'm dead. They're going to be like, why did this guy kill himself? Oh, this is why. And that's, that's a really shitty feeling is to, to fucking feel like that for seven months of your life and things that matter to you don't matter. I mean, I didn't even want to leave my house. Like I said, I have a gym in the basement but my head and my body were not working together. So I was afraid to even lift weights because I was afraid I'd hurt myself. Seven months of my life that I literally sat in a fucking bed and ate Popeye's chicken and pizza because I was depressed and thinking nothing else matters because I'm going to do these videos. I'm going to put my story out and then end my life so people actually fucking listen to me. And, and these people don't understand that. It's not a game. It's not seeking attention. I literally thought the only way people would listen is if I was dead and it kind of fucking true because as I said, there's thousands of differences in the video views because at one time I was going to end my fucking life and people were concerned. So they paid attention to what I was saying. Like how, what kind of world is that? As I said, I'm not perfect. I have my faults. And if you don't want to like me because you don't like my wrestling or whatever, one, don't sit at home on the fucking couch and tell me that I could do this or that better. Just say you don't like it. 
like all this is a weird thing of wrestling. You know what I mean? I, it's just, it's super frustrating. As I said, fans should have an opinion. Fans should be vocal about their opinion, about their likes and dislikes. My problem with any of this kind of stuff comes from people thinking they know better. It's okay not to like something. I might watch a wrestler who's fucking great and think, I'm not a fan of them. As a, before I started wrestling, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of Bret Hart growing up and I'm Canadian, but now as a wrestler and I know the ins and outs of what we do, I look at Bret and go, fuck, he was so good. Why wasn't I a huge fan of him growing up? And it all breaks down again to this, like these people are trying to get involved in something and try to get some publicity off something they're not putting their effort to be. And it's just a scary thing that why do we want fans with gimmicks? Why do we want fans with notoriety? And I'm not saying I hate all fans. I don't want that to be misconstrued. I'm not saying that people running a podcast like you guys can't have a valuable opinion. I'm saying that opinion should be, I like this and don't like this. This is why I like this and don't like this. Not, this guy's not a good wrestler because he can't do this, this, or that right. Well, show me how to fucking do it then, is all I'm saying. And I know this is kind of going off, but it's, it's all in that realm of what has happened here, I feel. And as we as we wrap up this episode, I'm glad you kind of went into that area, because one of the things that stuck out to me and all the stuff you sent me was one exchange where you actually said, I think I'm out of love with wrestling. What was going on at that point um, was. You know, was it a cross of, you know, um, and at that at that point too, the speaking out stuff hadn't even come into play. So no, it had actually. Oh yeah, did it? Yeah. Part of that, part of that was it. And a second part was the fans getting like gimmicks and, and saying these certain things. As I said, I know people are gonna be like, oh, Michael Alden's shitting on uh wrestling fans. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the social media community, everybody wants to be, have fans. But it's okay to be a part of a community that are all fans of something you share love for. And saying, like I said, it's fine to say, I like this match. I don't like this match. Uh, the thing they did, I liked or didn't like. But how has it become a thing where somebody can say they can't wrestle because look at this or look at that? It's just very weird. You know, it's not like I'm watching a movie and being like, you know, you go to a movie, you're not going to say, well, I didn't like it because Al Pacino played that character wrong. He should have done it like this. You go, I just didn't like that movie because I didn't like it. And that's okay as a fan of anything. But it's like we live in a world where people want their own fandom from being a fan. And I think that's a weird line that in wrestling it's not happening. Anymore. You know, nobody's going on Twitter and, and saying, I can hit a better fucking home run than whoever. You know what I mean? It's just a weird, it's a weird thing that wrestling has happened in the in the social media realm. It's like now everybody instead of having an opinion, everybody's an expert, but I have 20 years of doing this, which means I have a little bit of expertise in it. Now, am I the greatest expert? No. Am I the greatest wrestler? No. But 
I have 20 years in the field performing this, teaching this, learning this, wrestling some of the best wrestlers in the world. My critiques are going to be different than somebody who's, who's never done it. And that's where it comes, where that love falls out. It's like, I mean, if you go back prior to me too, everybody was talking about how great Glory Pro was and everybody's talking about my shit in Japan. But then it's like, I'm the worst person in the world and you don't want to watch me wrestle. And now everybody's saying I'm a bad fucking wrestler. Why? Because somebody lied about me? Like, it's fine to say, oh, I don't like this or that. Sure. But is fucking Mark Wahlberg still making movies? Google Mark Wahlberg and the accusations against him. You know how many actors have been fucking arrested for actually beating people? Beating people. Chris Brown is still making music. And he beat the dog shit out of Rihanna. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't dislike these people for something, but it's just a weird realm how this can all control the wrestling world, but it doesn't with anything else. And I think that's part of the reason why I'm, I was falling out of love with wrestling was because it's become something that it shouldn't have become. And it's weird, you know? And truthfully, over the last two months, I've fallen back in love with wrestling a big doing part to AEW. I think they're doing wrestling the best anybody has done for a long time and watching so many people that I have great respect for and saw amazing things out of before they were the stars they are now is just amazing. And it's made me fall back in love with wrestling. And now instead of watching blacklist for the 13th time, I'm watching a bunch of wrestling. Um, so really big doing part to AEW and the stuff they've been doing has made me love wrestling again. And um, I, I think that wrestlers can only survive with a great fandom. But I think that fandom should be a fandom. As I said, it's okay to like and dislike people or companies or matches. I just think it should be dialed back of everybody thinking they're an expert about it. And that's a good uh, position here to end it on. Um, we heard Michael's perspectives and some of the accusations uh, that he's dealt with in the uh, speaking out movement. Uh, in episode three here, we're going to uh, have Michael share his stories about his relationship with his former fiance, Alex, and what his hopes are for the future. So again, please keep an open mind when you're listening to these. And um, please, uh, you know, again, uh, seek out, uh, you know, any um, stuff that is there on Michael's YouTube uh, channel and uh, public records so you can see for yourself uh, the different um, aspects that go into everything and not just, uh, you know, a he said, she said uh, story. Um, Please keep an open mind. And uh, with that, we're going to let you guys go. And uh, please, everyone, tune in for episode three. Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting.